celebrated that baptism with Chuck Wago on that video. I wish y'all could have been there last Sunday when we did that baptism. Uh, some last year, I think it was, I had a chance to baptize Amanda, and I talked with both her and Chuck at that time, and Chuck wasn't ready to give his life to Christ. Uh, and I, I appreciate somebody who's honest that says, I'm just not ready to do that. Uh, but some weeks back, he called me and he said, uh, I, I want to come talk. And he told me he was ready to give his life to Christ. And so we scheduled his baptismal video. But what I did not know in that process was he had not told his wife that he'd come to see me. He had not told his family that he had done his baptismal video. And when they went Sunday to do their baptism, they had no idea that's where they're headed. He fixed them lunch, put it in the oven, and said, we got somewhere to go before we eat lunch. He put them all in the car, and they showed up there. He had his baptismal shirt underneath his button-up. He turned it off. I guess it's like Superman, right? And there it was, all right? And so we got to experience that emotional moment as his family celebrated uh, his baptism. It was a great time, and we're excited what God's doing. And here's really what it's a testimony to, that God does change lives, now, I don't know about you. Have you ever had any life-changing moments? I mean, I've had life-changing moments in my life. They've been in different kind of degrees. I remember when I was in middle school and I prayed to God and I was praying in middle school, God, you send me one good girl and I'll keep her because I didn't want all the bad girls that I saw around me in middle school. And I said, send me one. And so I'll never forget the moment that Kim walked through church and the first time I laid my eyes upon her, my life has never been the same since, all right? We've been married 32 years, right? So that moment made a difference in my life, no doubt. I'll also never forget the birth of our first child. As soon as Andy was born, it's like my view of the world changed. I've never been able to look at the world the same since. And so the birth of a child will change your life. It was a life-changing moment. I've had other life-changing moments in life. One I remember as well. I was in church one night and I was listening to the evangelist speak. And in that moment, God was working in my heart. And I realized for the first time that I was a sinner who needed a savior. And I realized that I'm the one that needed that Jesus in my heart. And I remember going home that night in my bed and bawling my eyes out and inviting Jesus to take control of my life. And my life has never been the same since. I remember a time in my life where I had graduated from college and finally was settling into life. I had a new job, a new career. Everything was great. Looking to build a home, all those things. And at the same time, God was working in my life and he was working in Kim's life. And we realized this is what we're not supposed to be doing with our life. And so I surrendered to God's will to go to full-time ministry and my life changed. My new career became my old career. Being out of school became being back in school again. Having a comfortable career now became a life of uncertainty. And now 27 years later, what I know, it's been a wild ride. And God changed my life in that moment. I've had those life-changing moments. Have you had those? Maybe you relate to some of those or maybe yours are different. In fact, some of your life-changing moments for you, you wouldn't describe so pleasantly. Because they were actually very difficult moments in your life where something happened, but through that difficulty, your life radically changed. I don't know how it's happened for you, but my guess is everyone's had those life-changing moments. For the young folks in our room, maybe you haven't had too many of them yet. I'm going to tell you, they're going to happen. They are going to come because God works in our life and life-changing moments to truly change us. He wants to change us for the good. I know as we think about these life-changing moments, we're going to look at it today. And as I speak to you about life-changing moments, I want us to see something, though, very specifically. And it's this, that God changes our identity. 
That's what God wants to do for us. He wants to change our identity. God wants to have an encounter with you that changes your life forever. He wants to change the course of your life in a positive way. And ultimately, he wants to change your identity. Now, to see this truth, let's begin by looking at one of the important people in the scriptures and see about his encounter with God so that we might discover what God wants to do in our lives, ultimately what God wants to do in your life. Who is this person we're going to look at today? His name is Jacob. Turn with me in your Bibles if you haven't already or open up your Bible app to Genesis 32. In this chapter, we will see one of the most important moments in the life of Jacob. And in this moment, we will see how God works in lives to change one's identity. Let's read verses 22 through 32, and then we're going to come back and we'll make some observations. It says, that same night he, that being Jacob, arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Now, as we read this account in Jacob's life, without any background knowledge of what's going on, you probably have several questions. The first one being this, who is this man that Jacob is wrestling with and what is this all about? In a way, the text does not specifically state who this person was. However, you look at Jacob's response to what happens. It says that Jacob named the place Peniel, saying he had seen God face to face. Now, with that statement, it should become very clear to us that the encounter that Jacob had here was with none other than God. Jacob has a wrestling match with God. Now, obviously, this can bring up many other questions, especially with just a quick reading of the text. But as we look closely at what's going to happen, hopefully some things will become very clear. And the first one being this, that God initiates life-changing moments. You know, one thing that is very key for us to recognize is that the events that are recorded here in Genesis 32 were events that were initiated by God. We know this to be true because in chapter 37, verse 3, we read this. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. You see, Jacob had been away from his homeland for many years. He'd been away in the house of Laman, where he had had a wonderful life in a sense. And the Lord spoke to Jacob in that moment, and he said, I want you to go back home. And as Jacob was going back home, he has this encounter with God. Now, that might not seem like a big deal unless you know Jacob's history. Remember the point we're looking at right now is not just that God initiates, but that God initiates life-changing moments. And to know why the moment that we are looking at this morning is so life-changing for Jacob, you need to know a little bit about his past. 
You see, Jacob was the son of Isaac. If you're here last week, you know that Isaac was the son of Abraham and Sarah. He was actually the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, where God had told Abraham, I'm going to make from you a a big and powerful nation. There will be, I mean, your descendants are going to be too numerous to count. And from you, the whole world is going to be blessed. And so since Isaac was the son of of Jacob or of of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac was in a sense, the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Now, since Jacob was the son of Isaac, this is what we need to see. He would be the continuation of that promise. He would be God continuing to work through the promise of Abraham. However, what we're going to see something about Jacob is this. Jacob wasn't though the only son. Jacob was actually a twin. He had a twin brother whose name was Esau. And the thing about this was this, that Esau was actually the oldest And since Esau was the oldest, he was in line for the birthright. He was in line for the blessing. He was actually in line to be the one to carry on the promise of God. But there's an interesting thing that we see in the scriptures. When Esau was born, a few few moments before Jacob, the scripture records that Jacob was grabbing a hold of Esau's heel. In fact, his name came from that very event. If you look in the footnotes of your scripture, it says he was named Jacob for this reason, that Jacob means one who grabs the heels, or there's another way to to, to decipher that, and it can also mean cheater. One who grabs or cheater. Now, I don't know how about your parents. How many of you would name your kid cheater? I don't know, but that's what Jacob was named and probably because God knew that the course of Jacob's life would be a life that was spent grabbing at things he didn't have, grabbing at things that he wanted that somebody else had, and cheating his way to get those things. You see, as Jacob and Esau grew up, the reality is this. Esau was his father's favorite because Esau was a rugged man. He was hairy. He liked to go out and hunt. And, 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 and listen, Isaac really loved the game that, that Esau would go and kill. And so he became the favorite. But The Bible tells us that that Jacob was a man who was more domesticated. He liked to hang around the tents. And so he was his mother's, Rebecca's favorite. And so as they grew up, something interesting happened. One day Esau was out on one of his big hunts and he came home from the hunt. And as he came home from this hunt, he was famished. And the Bible tells us that Jacob had been there at home. He was cooking some stew. And so when Esau came home hungry from the hunt, He came to Jacob and he says, listen, I'm so hungry, I'm about to die. Would you give me some of your stew? Well, this is where Jacob begins to live up to his name because he sees an opportunity. His brother's at a difficult moment of life, and so Jacob realized this is a chance for me to grab at something I don't have. The birthright of the firstborn is not mine. And so he looked at Esau and he said, I will give you some stew if you will sell me the birthright as the firstborn son. The scripture tells us that Esau was so hungry. That's exactly what he did. He gave the birthright to Jacob and the scripture records that from that moment on, Esau despised his birthright. You can only imagine it wasn't just his birthright that he despised, but who else or what else? His brother Jacob. 
In fact, as they got older, Isaac got to the point in his old age, he couldn't see very well and he knew that death would soon be on the horizon. And so what he wanted to do was give the blessing to his firstborn. And so he told Esau, he said, Esau, this is what I want you to do. Go out and go on the hunt. Find some of my favorite game and I want you to cook it up for me and I'm going to eat it and then I'm going to bless you. And so what happened in the meantime, Jacob taking advantage of the opportunity, what did he do? He went and took a goat out of the herd. He prepared it just like his father loved. He put on some of his brother Esau's clothes. He he put the hair from that goat on his arm so he would appear hairy like his brother. And he went into his father Jacob, now taking the deception, taking the grabbing to the next match. And he went to Isaac and he said, Father, this is your son Esau. Bless me. And his father, again, couldn't see very well. He did say this. So he says, listen to you. Smell like my son Esau. You feel like my son Esau, but you sound a little bit like Jacob. But even in the meantime, what did he do? He blessed Jacob and he passed on the birthright. Of course, you can only imagine what happened that made Esau mad when he came in from the hunt and realized what had happened. He was so angry. He even made this statement. He said, I'm so angry. I'm going to kill Jacob. But he said, listen, I'm going to honor my father and I'm going to wait till my father is dead And so then what am I going to do? Then I'll kill my brother. Well, how did Jacob respond? As we all would figure, by the way, when you cheat your way through life, you have this tendency to have to fear for your life or at least to be on the run, right? And so what did Jacob do? He continued his cheating ways, his deceiving ways, his grabbing ways, and he concocted a story that he told to his father so that his father gave him a blessing and said, I want you to go to Laban. I want you to leave here and I want you to go find you a wife over where Laban is. And so that's exactly what Jacob did, really running from his problem. And he went to the house of Laban. Now, you'll try to shorten this a little bit just to say this. When he makes it to the place of Laban, he gets his wife. In fact, he got two wives, which that's always a bad deal, right? And in the process, he also continued his, and he became a grabber and deceiver. And what happened while he was in the house of Laban, he basically grabbed a hold of Laban's wealth and Jacob became a wealthy man, even to the point that, listen, he wasn't on the best terms with his father-in-law. That's when God spoke to him. And that's when God said, Jacob, what I want you to do is I want you to go back home. I want you to go to your brother. Now, pause and just say this. A good thing that that shows me is God's not even finished with us when we have a tendency to mess up, right? We saw that with Abraham, that God's grace is still on those even who don't do right. And God was still at work in Jacob's life. God had a plan for him. And he said, Jacob, I want you to go back home to your brother Esau. Now, let's pause for just a moment. I want you to consider something. The last time you left your brother, he was ready to kill you. And now God says, I want you to go back to him. What is your reaction? How do you feel in that moment? You tell me. Oh, let me ask you, since you're not going to respond, do you think maybe he was a little reluctant? A little bit nervous? Sure, all those things. In fact, the only thing that made going back to Esau a little bit easier is, again, he'd already got on his father-in-law's bad side, so he was leaving one bad situation to go to another. And so it made it a little bit easier for him to go, well, maybe I'll go home and Esau won't be so mad. Maybe he's got over that. I've been gone so long, right? But you see, he'd been grabbing all his life. He was a deceiver. And so what happens is that sparks this event we see in Genesis 32 because Jacob has sent word ahead to Esau. Esau, I'm coming home. And in response, Jacob gets word that Esau 
is sending 400 men to meet him. Now, how would it you feel? If I was in Jacob's shoes, I'm thinking, oh, I've told Esau I'm coming. 400 men are coming to meet me. My guess is that's probably his 400 strongest men, his warriors that are ready to kill me. Yes. So that inspires his event. What does Jacob do in response? Because in this stressful moment, he doesn't know what's happening. He retreats across the river where he's alone. He sent some of his entourage ahead and Jacob is alone. And what happens here? He has this encounter with God. This encounter, folks, I'm telling you, that God has initiated. Jacob is faced with a a stressful situation that sparks this wrestling match with God. Now, this encounter truly reminds me that often God works in the stressful, the difficult, the uneasy parts of our life to initiate life change in our lives. In fact, many of you here this morning, you've experienced major life change and you realize that change that you experienced was often sparked by the difficult circumstance in your life. Something that forced you to retreat, something that forced you to turn to God, even maybe as a last resort. But in that moment, you had an encounter with God that changed you. It is not uncommon. And that is often how God works. In fact, if you're here this morning and you're facing a stressful situation, a difficult event, a good question for you might be, God, what are you doing through this difficult moment? God, is there a way that that you want to change me? God, God, is there something that you're seeking to do in my life? Are you seeking to put me in a different direction? God, are you seeking to put me in a different direction? It is something we all must ask because, hear me, nothing is wasted in the hands of God. In fact, maybe God told you to go where you did and it ended up being a tough place. Well, if that's the case, he is meeting you there for a purpose. Is there something he's trying to get your attention on, maybe radically change you? We have to ask because God initiates change in our lives. And as we go on, we'll see that surely God was seeking to initiate life change in Jacob. And as we look closely at what happens, we're going to learn this, that we can experience change as we recognize our need. I'm going to maintain that often the hardest part of someone experiencing life change is for them to recognize that they need a change. Y'all shake your head this way. As you read in these chapters before Genesis 32, I really don't get a feeling that Jacob ever saw any of his actions as wrong. He was just persevering through life. He was just looking out for his own good in his own eyes, even though it was deceiving. Jacob never really understood that his deception, his grabbing was wrong. He might have even felt that he had God's blessing on everything since God had spoken to him and that God had been with him. However, we see something very interesting. As Jacob wrestles with God, look back at what it said in Genesis 32, 26 and 27. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now, we will talk more about what's going on here in a moment. But focus on the fact right now that as Jacob is wrestling with God, asking for a blessing, God responds with a question. And God's question to Jacob was this, what is your name? Now you tell me this, if this is God wrestling with Jacob, does God know his name? Yes. Well, then ask me or answer me this question. Then why did God ask the question? Why would God say, Jacob, what is your name? Why did he ask? 
Well, let's remember, what did Jacob mean? You see, God was asking Jacob the question because he wanted basically Jacob to respond back and say, God, who am I? I am a grabber. God, I am a cheater. God was asking the question because he wanted Jacob to confront the reality that he lived up to his name. He was a cheater. He was a deceiver. He was a grabber. And he was wanting Jacob to recognize who he was. He is seeking to confront Jacob with a need for a changed life. In fact, at the end of this struggle, here's what we read. God says to Jacob, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God with men and have prevailed. You see, at the end of verse 27, Jacob states his name and by doing so confesses who he is. And then God says, you are Jacob no longer, but now you are Israel. Now, here's the key. Jacob struggled with God. He persisted and encountered God until God changed his life. The very thing God was wanting to do. You know, one thing from this that I want to encourage everyone to do is to struggle with God. Maybe you're going through a tough time right now. Maybe there's a time filled with doubts or fears. I want to encourage you to get with God and wrestle with him. Wrestle with his will for you. Wrestle with who he is. Wrestle with whatever question you have. And if you will persist as Jacob did, I believe God will meet you in the struggle and he will change you. You see, too many people give up before they encounter God fully. Before God has a chance to complete his work in their lives and they miss the change that God wants. But because Jacob recognized his need and persisted with God, God gave him a new name. And in the process, Jacob discovered this, that God provides life change through his grace. Here's what so many people do with this text is misunderstand Jacob's strength and God's role. Some might want to say, well, you know, give Jacob too much credit saying this, that he must have surely been a strong man if he wrestled with God and won. But that's a wrong perception of this text. You need to know that Jacob was not stronger than God. If you don't believe me, look back at verse 30 and you'll see what I mean. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been, my life has been delivered. Did Jacob say, I've wrestled with God in one Did Jacob say, I've wrestled with God and proved to be stronger? No and no. What Jacob said was, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been what? Delivered. It's almost like when my kids were little and we would wrestle, I would let them pin me occasionally. You know, every now and then a father needs to build up his, you know, his children's, uh, you know, confidence, right? So every now and then I would let them win and pin me, okay? And then they got a little bit older, and then when something like that would happen, as they got a little bit older and a little bit wiser, and they would pin me, you know what they would say at the end? What? Did you say it? Yeah. You let me win, didn't you? Yes, I let them win. They weren't stronger than me. You see, I'm pretty smart. When they got to where they could beat me, I stopped wrestling. I'm not dumb. You need to know this. Jacob was never stronger than God. Jacob did not overcome God in that way. What Jacob experienced in this moment of wrestling with God was a change, all right? And what happened was it came because God spared his life. When God at any moment could have said, Jacob, you are a grabber. Jacob, you are a cheater. Jacob, I know the story of your life and what you deserve is death. God didn't kill him. In fact, God wrestled with him long enough for Jacob to recognize his need. And then in that moment, God changed. 
changed him. Instead of destroying him, God poured his grace down upon him and said, Jacob, here's what I'm going to do. You deserve death, but instead I'm going to give you a new name. And what Jacob experienced was God's grace. In fact, what was the effect on Jacob's life? The same that can happen to our lives. God's grace turns us fully to the Lord. All right. Turn over, if you would, just a few pages in your Bible to Genesis 35. In that chapter, we see Jacob receive God's blessing and a reiteration of his new name. But before that happens, as Jacob is in this new walk with God, we read this. It says, God said to Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. You see, God is leading Jacob to the place where he's going to bless him and reiterate his new name. And Jacob's response is so key because he says to those even with him, he says, turn fully to the Lord. And he encourages others to do that. And he says, put away all your foreign gods, then purify yourselves and change your garments. You see, some of this was very practical. In the day of Jacob, people would often carry around little trinkets or idols, maybe like good luck charms. And so instead of depending fully upon God, they would depend upon these good luck charms or they would depend upon these idols. And Jacob is looking and saying, put those away. We need to fully trust in the Lord. All right. People still do that today, right? Don't people still have their good luck charms? We may not put idols upon our our, our mantles today, but we carry our good luck charms. And God would say to all of us today, put those things out of your life. Turn to me and me alone. There's also the symbolic part here where where Jacob then looked at him and said, all right, not only do you need to get rid of those idols, I I want you to purify yourself and I want you to put on new garments. That's very symbolic of when he's saying, I'm fully trusting in the Lord. You see, when we consider Chuck's baptism from earlier today, the change had already happened in his heart. Y'all know that, right? But the baptism was him declaring physically, I'm being purified. I'm letting God renew me. I am putting on new clothes. Those outward expressions display to the world. And even to yourself, I am turning fully to the Lord. When you encounter God's grace, you're motivated to do this because you recognize that God has spared you. And you recognize that he is worthy of your life. When he could have taken your life, he actually gave you new life. So grace can turn you fully to the Lord. As well as this, grace returns you to his purposes. Look further in Genesis 35. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob no longer. Your name shall be called, your name, name, your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. So God in his grace gave Jacob a new name and obviously a new direction. But did you notice what God commanded Jacob to do? Did you notice what he did? He said to do what? Go and be fruitful and multiply. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound? I hope it does, all right? A few weeks ago, we talked about it in the beginning. What was the first command that God gave to us as humanity? To go and to be fruitful and to multiply, did he not? In other words, here's what he's doing with Jacob. 
Jacob had a life of deception. Jacob had a life that had gotten off track. And God was saying to Jacob, I'm giving you a new name, Jacob. And guess what? I'm putting you back onto my purposes for your life. Because let's, let's be honest, okay? When we let sin in our life, what happens to the purposes of God in our life? They get derailed, do they not? They get put on the back burner. We've used the analogy here that sin brings brokenness into our life. In other words, our life gets broken, and so we're not on track with God anymore. But what God does is says, look, I want to change your life. I want to give you a new name. And when I give you this new name, here's what I'm doing. I'm putting you back on purposes for me. You can get back to living my life and doing what I have asked you to do. You see, God's grace restores us to God's purposes for our life where we can serve him again. But then God's grace also reminds us of our ongoing need. Look back at verse or chapter 32 again for a moment. We're aware of this, but let's look again at the fact that when Jacob wrestles with God, he comes away with more than a name change. What else did he come away with? Look at it again. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. The sun rose up upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Jacob came away with a new name, but also what did he come away with? A limp. And let's consider the fact that God simply touched Jacob's hip socket and put it out of joint. That took no effort on God's part, did it? All right, I know this. If I touch somebody's hip, it's not going out of joint, is it? No. Okay. We're to read it and need to understand something. God touched his hip, put it out of joint, but it shows the power of God. God could have done anything with Jacob that he wanted. Again, he could have taken his life, all right? But instead, of taking his life, God gave him a limp. And here's why I believe why. If you read on in the chapters, it says the people of Israel don't even eat that sinew of the thigh anymore because of this event, because it's a reminder of something. It's a reminder of the grace that Jacob received but also an ongoing reminder of our continual need for God's grace. Think about this. Every time Jacob limped, he could think to himself, I'm glad I got a limp instead of death. Amen? I'm glad I got a limp instead of death. And God sometimes allows us to have limps to remind us of our ongoing need for his grace. Okay. Now, as I say all, let's consider something again. I started by saying this, so let me say it again. God changes our identity. Is that true? We see what happened with Jacob, but is that true for us? Remember, our series is entitled Unbroken. So is God still changing identities today? The answer is yes. I'll give you one quick example from the New Testament. You can read a part of this man's life in Acts chapter 9. The man's name is Saul. He was a religious fanatic, serving God passionately but off track as he was killing Christians. And so what did God do? God initiated a life-changing moment. While Saul was on the road to Damascus, God blinded him with a bright light. This obviously called a crisis in Saul's life where I'm sure he wrestled with God, wondering what was going on. And in that encounter, what did God do? The same thing he did with Jacob. He forced him to take a look at who he really was. He didn't ask Saul what his name was, but he did ask Saul the question, God, why, or Saul, why are you persecuting me? Which forced Saul to reflect on who he was and what he was doing. He forced Saul to recognize that he wasn't really serving God, but was just being religious. Then what did Saul experience? God's grace. 
Saul received his sight back and then was given a commission to join God in what he was doing. He was given the commission to go and to be fruitful and to multiply, to go and share the truth of Jesus with the Gentiles. And he might not have had that moment where God spoke a name change, but Scripture records that really what happened with Saul is he went from being called Saul to be called Paul. He went from being called his Hebrew name when he wasn't walking with God to his Roman name, Paul, when he was out there serving the living God, telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ because he had a new identity. And guess what else God was doing? God was showing him his need for grace each and every day. If you don't believe me, remember Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul said this, So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, it may not have been a limp that Paul got, But instead, he got a thorn in his flesh. And the thorn in his flesh was a reminder every day of Paul's need of God's grace. You will say, well, I hear what you're saying about Paul, but how does that apply to me? Can I say this? Are you ready? God is still changing identities today. He he did it with Jacob. He did it with Saul. He is still changing identities. God is initiating life-changing moments. How do I know that God is initiating life-changing moments? Because the Bible says in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You see, God is still drawing people to him. Many times it is in that stressful situation or that hardship. It could be in the conviction that you're doing wrong or the reaching of the end of your rope. But God takes people to a place where they wrestle with him. And for those who wrestle with God and are willing to face who they are, God can change them. As Peter proclaimed in Acts 3, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see, repenting is recognizing that you are not who God wants you to be and turning to God saying, God, I'm ready to be who you want. And when you do, you can experience God's grace, a grace that we are reminded of in Ephesians 2, 8 that says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. And that grace does everything that we saw it did for Jacob and for Paul. Now, but for time's sake, what grace does is this, changes your identity. If you, by faith, trust in Jesus as your Savior, what God does is take you from one going in the wrong direction, doing the wrong things to a person who is forgiven, who is changed and made new to serve the living God. In fact, I love the passage in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul's encouraging believers to do, do the right thing and in reminding them, he does it in a blunt way by reminding them what God had already done for them. And this is what it says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such, look at this, were, past tense, some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Catch this. Paul challenging believers to do the right thing was really 
reminding them of what they had experienced as a changed identity. Some were sexual immoral in the past, but God had changed them. He had washed them. He had sanctified them. He had justified them through Jesus so that they were not sexually immoral anymore. Some were thieves, but they had been washed, sanctified, justified in Jesus. They may not have had a literal name change, but now they could be called by a different name. And you know what God is still doing? All right. He is still changing our identities. Having Chuck's baptismal video on this day was perfect because Chuck could have been named hopeless not that long ago. Would you agree, Chuck? Hopeless. But today, I believe his name has been changed to hopeful. All right. Not that long ago, he might have been named suicidal. But today, he is named joyful. He has experienced an identity change through faith in Jesus Christ. And you can, too. Let me ask you today, if you were to begin a wrestling match with God today and God asked you your name, what would it be? If you asked you your name, what would you have to say? Would you have to look back at God and say, well, my name is deceiver like Jacob? Would you say I'm a cheater? I'm a a grabber. Would that be your name? Would your name today be hypocrite? Would it be thief? Would it be drunkard? Would it be adulterer? Would it be something other than what God would want to call you? If so, remember this, God will ask your name in order for you to face who you are in order that he might pour down his grace upon you and change you. I just even wonder today, do some of you need a name change? Maybe right now, you know, God has started wrestling with you. That wrestling has come through a difficult circumstance you're facing. Maybe it's come just an unsettling in your spirit. Maybe it has come through a friend who's asked you to consider your ways But God has started wrestling with you where you, in a way, have heard him ask you, who are you? Will you choose today to be honest with God? Will you tell him who you really are? Listen, he already knows it. So you might as well go ahead and agree with him because he wants you to agree so that he might change you. So that you will be in a place where you can repent and turn to Jesus and be saved. Remember this, Jesus lived that sinless life that you couldn't live. He died upon a cross to pay for your sin that has given you the name that you have right now. But he also rose again to give you that new identity to change your name. And all he's waiting for you to do today is put your faith in Jesus Christ and give a new identity. You see, God is offering new identities today. I just simply want to ask, do you need to come today and be given a new identity? Some of you have been in church long enough to know what you need to do. I would just tell you today to come and give your life to Jesus. You've heard it enough, but you've never let God change you. Why not let today be the day that you let the Lord change your life? There may be others with you today that this is new. And what I've said today, I was a little long today, so I said a lot. And you said that was more than I could take in this morning. But I want that. I need that. I know I need an identity change. Well, then why don't you do this? Why don't you come today and say, I want that identity change. Will you help me find it? I know God is wrestling with me. I've heard God even ask the question, who are you? I, in a way, know who I am, but I'm really not sure how I still experience this change. Will you come today because we want to help you? In fact, here's what I'll do. I'm going to put my mask on. I'll meet you right here even this morning. If you want to come, we'll be safe in doing it. But let me begin to tell you about Jesus and how he died for you because there are people here today that need a name change and don't put it off any longer. You've wrestled long enough. Won't you come and experience God's grace? You see, our praise team is going to come, and they're going to sing a great song. I love this song. 
There's so many great lines in it that remind us of what God wants to do in our life. And when I ask you today, will you let God come and change you? He is changing identities. He wants to change yours. If he's changed yours, rejoice. Sing this song rejoicing, reflecting, and saying, God, thank you for changing my life. But if he's never changed your life, would you give it to him today? Because indeed, he wants to give you a new identity. Maybe some today who are cheaters. God wants to make you faithful today. Maybe some today are deceivers. He wants to make you truthful. Well, today you let come and God change your identity this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come today, I thank you. You are a God that changes identities. And I pray, Father, today that you'll change the identity of some here today or even some who may be at home. There may be some at home today that want to walk the aisle and they can't do it, Father. And so if they can't, I pray, Lord, that they'll reach out by by text or by phone or by email and they'll say, I want that name changed because today, Father, I know you're wanting to change lives. Then for those who are gathered here, if there's any, God, today that need that name changed, I pray they'll not put it off. I pray they'll not even let a pandemic keep them away from you. And Father, indeed, today they'll give their life to you and allow you to change their lives this morning. We thank you for your grace, Father. It's so amazing. Just pour it down in this moment and may some experience a change identity even this morning, I pray. As I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.